Good morning, Redeemer. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Lawson uh, Flowers. I'm the teaching pastor here. Uh, we, we are actually in a series uh, through the book of Philippians, but we're taking a step away from our, our Philippians series to do at the beginning of the fall, two weeks on our church's mission. Uh, what, who are we as a church? It's, I think it's good to take some time just to refocus, to, to <laughs> just say, what are we here for? What are we doing? Uh, what's the point? Uh, and and we, we like to do this in, in the fall. Um, our mission at Redeemer is to, to make disciples and make much of Jesus. All right, this has been our mission for, for many years, since the beginning of our church, to make disciples and make much of Jesus. Um, this, this is not a, a revolutionary mission. Um, it's not a new mission. Uh, with, when you're you know, talking about theology, you, you don't ever just want to, you don't ever want to come up with something new, <laughs> right? You want to stay to the old roads, you know? Uh, and so th- we think this is the mission of every Christian and every church that has ever existed. Uh, we want to be faithful um, to, to the he- here and now, where we are, uh, as best we can. We want to be faithful to the Lord Jesus. And so um, today we're talking about making disciples. Next week we're talking about making much of Jesus. Um, and so today, I just want to talk about if, if we want to make disciples, if that's our mission, if we want to be disciples, we have to know what a disciple is. We have to know what a disciple is. So today I want to talk about three defining traits of a disciple and then ask how can we actually make disciples, okay? So the three traits of a disciple are one, worship Jesus. Disciples worship Jesus. Two, disciples live like Jesus. And three, disciples share Jesus, or you could say uh, disciples are worshipers, disciples are apprentices, and disciples are ambassadors. Now let's pray once more, and we'll, we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much uh, for just for our church and for bringing us here. You've been so kind to us and so good, uh, and, and it's such a privilege and, and a joy to celebrate our, ch- our church family growing um, and, and new, new families coming. And you've just been so good to us, to, to bless us, um, and to put us here, and to give us a purpose and a mission. So would you help us today uh, just to learn how to make disciples, and would you make us disciples who honor you in everything? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. First, uh, we worship Jesus. Disciples worship Jesus. Um, worship, as you know, is attributing worth to something. Everyone worships. Right? Even, even the most secular person worships. Everyone sacrifices for something they believe is worthy. For some people, it's stuff. It's material possessions. Sacrifice a lot for that. For some, it's a politician. For some, it's a certain body or physique. For some, it's approval. For some, it's comfort. For some, it's status. Uh, you could go on and on. Whatever you think about most, whatever you pay the most money for, whatever you sacrifice time and energy for, whatever you most believe will satisfy you and make you happy, this is what you worship. Um, And as a church, we wanna say that all of those things won't ultimately satisfy us. Nothing on earth, nothing here, nothing we can achieve or have or be or do will ultimately satisfy us because only Jesus is worthy of our ultimate love and devotion. We were made for him. Psalm 115.1 says, not to us, but to your name be the glory. And I think this is the first thing to say, right? It's not about our name. It's not about our organization, our church, our brand, our mission, our goals. It's about Jesus Christ and his kingdom, right? We will, we will if history continues, we will be quickly forgotten, 
right? The history will move on and we will not be remembered, but Jesus Christ and his kingdom will be remembered and worshiped forever and ever and ever. It's easy for us as individuals um, or we as a church to get off track and to begin to make something other than Jesus the main thing, right? It's, su- it's, it's, a, it's a, such a danger. And may, may God protect us and God forbid that we would ever make anything else most important. Disciples should worship Jesus. It, churches should worship and follow and honor Jesus. But how? How do, how do we worship? What can we say about worship? Well, in John 4, Um, Jesus says this to the woman at the well, if you remember that story. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is in a conversation, as I said, with a woman at the well in Samaria um, and they are talking about places of worship. The, the Jews and the Samaritans disagreed about where, uh, where God could be worshiped. And Jesus is, is saying to her, uh, the geography of worship is less important, is less significant than the way that you worship, how you worship. He's saying, since I'm here, since I've come, uh, the worship is different. He, he uses Trinitarian language here. The Father, you worship the Father in the Spirit. Right? And, and in truth, right? In truth, in Jesus in John 14 is the truth and the way, the truth, and the life. So we worship the Father by the Son through the Spirit. This is how we worship. Um, and I think Spirit and truth is a good summary of worship. Right? The Father seeks such people to worship in Spirit and in truth. Some of us, I think, are spirit, Spirit-leaning people, let's say. We're more expressive, more experiential uh, more, more emotional. We, we love when the Holy Spirit moves in us and through us in ways that we can feel and re- know and rejoice in. We're, we're more aware of the spiritual realm, right, of, of angels and demons, powers and heavenly places, spiritual gifts. We believe the Bible should be, should be lived, right, all of it, even the scary parts about demon possession and spiritual warfare, some of us, though, are, are more truth-leaning people, let's say. More careful, more measured, more intellectual. We, we value getting God's word right. We, we love theology, studying how God has revealed himself in Christ and in the Bible. We're, we're especially aware of how beliefs lead to behavior. Right? So, if, so believing wrongly will lead people to, to harm and to sin. We know that a person's worldview will work out in their lives for good or for evil. And I think spirit-leaning people are sometimes suspicious of truth-leaning people. Or they're concerned that, that truth-leaning people will fall into the ditch of cold religion, no love for God, no warmth of relationships, no zeal for mission. I think truth-leaning people are sometimes suspicious of spirit-leaning people. They're concerned that, that spirit-leading people will fall into the ditch of emotionalism. They'll be like a, like a ship, like James says, a ship tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. That, right? they'll, they'll be driven to all kinds of abuses and excesses that harm people. And you can probably guess where I'm going with this. Jesus says we're to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Where we see a division, there should be no division. To separate the spirit from the truth is to separate wet from water, 
sweet from honey, right? It's to, separate, it's to separate two members of the Trinity, the Son from the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. We can't. Spirit people are truth people. Truth people are spirit people. The deep doctrines of the gospel should lead us to dance and to weep and to praise. The battle raging in the spiritual places should push us to study and dig deep into the word. It's the word that says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And it's the Holy Spirit who inspired the verse that says it, all scripture is, is inspired by, and is, is profitable for teaching and rebuke and correction and training in righteousness. The spirit and the truth are not divided. They're one. And we should be as well. Are we worshipers of Jesus in spirit and in truth? Do we worship Jesus as he is, right? Not, not a made up Jesus in our minds, but as he, as he has revealed himself to us in scripture. And do we worship with glad hearts and with tears in our eyes? This is the kind of people we strive to be. And as we make disciples, this is how we want to, to form others to be into passionate worshipers of Jesus Christ. Redeemer exists to worship Jesus and to call others to do the same. Next, living like Jesus. Right? Disciples live like Jesus. In Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, Jesus said. First John says, this is how we know that we are in him. That's Christ. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. I think there's some common misconceptions about what a disciple is. All right, d- disciples aren't uh, super Christians, like a class above. There's like Christians and there's like disciples, you know, like they're like super saints or something. Uh, disciples aren't people who have, who have graduated from some sort of discipleship program. Like, oh yeah, I'm a disciple. I, I went to the discipleship program at church. I, I graduated, you know, I did, did the program. No, you don't graduate from discipleship. Disciples are those... Uh, who very simply deny themselves and follow Jesus. They are those who, who walk just as he walked. They've heard the call to follow him and they've bet it all on Jesus. I think there's a disconnect sometimes when we talk about being a disciple because we've somehow divorced being a Christian and being a disciple. Right, you think, well, yeah, you can be a convert and you can be a Christian, you can go to heaven when you die, but you don't, if you're a disciple, you, know, you don't have to really follow him. That's like the next level up. But, but that's not a biblical distinction. Right? To, to trust Jesus means to trust him for all, with all of your life, with everything you are, not just for your eternity, what happens when you die. Redeemer exists to call people to leave everything and follow Jesus. Do you know that Jesus is not asking for just one day of your week? That's not, his, not even two days, right? Jesus, he's asking that you die to yourself, that the old you is gone and dead, right? And, and you take up your cross and you follow him and you live in him, new life. We are asking that you orient your whole life around Jesus because he's worth it. He's the only one who's worth it. And as we talk to people and make disciples, I think this is an important point, right? You should count the cost. You have to give up your life to follow Jesus. You can't keep it. Now you'll find true life in him. It's worth it. But you have to give it up. 
Dallas Willard um, called disciples apprentices of Jesus. Uh, And I really like how he phrases this. He said, uh, an apprentice of Jesus is someone learning to live their life as Jesus would if he were in their shoes. Okay, are you an apprentice of Jesus? If I asked you, are you an electrician's apprentice or are you a plumber's apprentice? That would be an easy question. It would be a yes or no. (laughs) You either are or you aren't. And it's the same with Jesus. You either are his apprentice or you're not. You're learning to live your life from him or you aren't. One reason thinking about whole life apprenticeship, discipleship in this way, is difficult is that I think we've segmented off the sacred from the secular in a lot of ways. We think about Jesus here at church on Sunday, but not when we're at Costco. Like, what does Jesus have to do with Costco anyway? Right? We think about Jesus at our life group or when we pray in the morning, but not when we're being an engineer or being a nurse or being a stay-at-home mom. So let, let's say, let, let's, let's camp here for a moment. I really like this. Say you're an engineer. Many of you are engineers. What does Jesus know about engineering? Everything. He invented matter and physics and math. Right? He's very smart. I don't know if you think about it, but Jesus is super smart. He knows it all, Right? He's quite proficient at problem solving, at design, at project implementation. Um, We don't often think about our faith and our work, I think, in this way. We sometimes think we view our careers as mainly a platform for us to be kind and courteous and generous, helpful to those who we work with or work for. Um, And and that's right. Jesus should make us a moral person at work. We should be a moral person. Uh, But Jesus doesn't just want to teach you how to talk with your coworker. He wants to teach you how to write up your quote or how to do your research, or or how to to submit your proposal in a way that honors him. He he said, right, it it says in 1 Corinthians, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. If you can eat a PB&J for the glory of God, which I think that verse means you can, then surely you can also do your engineering tasks for the glory of God. Colossians, it says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We're to do all things, all of our work in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God for his glory. And this is exciting to me because if we leave God for all intents and purposes out of our work, if, if, if you know, there's the religious space where, you know, we're church, that's where we think about Jesus. But the work thing, that's kind of my area, right? I don't really think about God in this area. Um, then that means he's out of most of our waking lives, right? He, he, like, doesn't have to do with a lot of our lives. But, but God invented work. Work is a good gift from him. There was work in the garden before the fall, Right? It's a gift, and he doesn't ask to be left out of it, and he never leaves us alone in it. So, so stay-at-home moms. Jesus knows a lot about handling children's emotions, cleaning, meal planning, juggling everyone's schedule, potty training. Lawyers. Jesus knows about reviewing contracts, 
assessing liability, resolving disputes, litigation. People in food service. Jesus knows about cooking. He made food, you know. He knows about cleaning. Uh, He knows about tip pools. He knows about handling angry customers. Teachers, Jesus knows a lot about education. Right? He, he knows about learning styles and lessons plans and classroom man. Like we could just keep going on and on with this, couldn't we? Uh, you just bring Jesus into all these things you do and you ask for his help. He's already there. You don't bring him in, right? You, but you bring, you bring it, you are aware of him, right? In all your ways, acknowledge him and when what? He will direct your paths. If Jesus lived in 2021 in Houston and did your job in your shoes at your desk, how would he do it? This is discipleship. This is living as Jesus' apprentice. And I wonder if this isn't why Christianity is boring to so many people. They just find that it doesn't apply to much of their lives besides Sunday morning and you know, maybe a, a prayer time, quiet time when they can fit it in. No, no. Apprenticeship to Jesus is 24-7. It's identity and purpose and energy and adventure of living in and with the risen Lord. You get to walk with him in your actual life. It's incredible. Discipleship is learning to live your life like Jesus would if he were in your shoes. It's the flesh and bones of following Jesus here and now. It's our unique challenge. It's our unique opportunity, and it's our unique responsibility. Redeemer exists to make disciples. We exist to be formed into people who trust and depend on Jesus in all of life and who call others to do the same. Third, third, disciples share Jesus. Disciples share Jesus. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but would have eternal life. The message of Jesus is the beginning of discipleship. This gospel is good news. And the message of Jesus, it's, it's infinitely deep, but it's also extremely simple. It's extremely simple. God created the world, but it's clearly gone wrong. <laughs> right? We've wrecked it because we've rebelled against him. And that's called sin. But God loved the world, so he sent his only son to die for the world. Jesus came, died in our place, defeated sin, Satan, and death, and rose from the dead. He's alive now, and he's calling men and women to turn from their sin and to receive the gift of being made right with God again. You can either go your own way and perish, die, or you can trust Jesus and you can live forever. This is the message. And once men and women receive that message, they become Jesus' disciples, as we just talked about, his apprentices, and then they go and they share that message with others so that others can believe it. But we can't help but share what we've received. If we receive something so good, how could we keep it to ourselves? We can't. I think sometimes we can overcomplicate it, but at the basic level, it's it's pretty simple. We receive this message, we share this message. 
Hear these words again from Matthew 28. And, and hear them as if, as if you're hearing them for the first time. Hear them simply, right? As if you're, Jesus is speaking these to you. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always till the end of the age. Hear these words from, from Paul, 2 Corinthians. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. Redeemer exists to proclaim the message of Jesus to a lost and dying world, a world that needs hope. Doesn't the world need hope? And we're, we are to proclaim that message, to call people, to invite people to trust in Jesus. And we do this with his authority and by his presence as his ambassadors. So these are the traits of a disciple, three traits of a disciple. Worshippers, disciples are worshipers, disciples are apprentices, and disciples are ambassadors. And so you might ask at this point, okay, got it. But how do you actually make disciples? Like, what do we do? You know, how, how, how do you make this more practical? And there have been many trees uh, felled to, to write many books about discipleship. Uh, and so there's, there's a lot on this, and, and I obviously can't say it all here. Uh, but I do want to maybe take a little weight off your shoulders um, and then put a little weight on all of our shoulders, if that makes sense. So first, I want to take some, some weight off. But for, for many people... Um, discipleship, when you think of discipleship, it's, it's like a one-on-one -on -one, you know, mentoring relationship or a group mentoring. We are in a discipleship group um, relationship. And, you know, it's a, hey, I, I'm a little further down the road and I'd love to invest in you and just to help you follow Jesus. Or it's a, hey, would you like to read the Bible with me and just see what it means to, to be a follower of Christ? And th those are fantastic Right, those are great. I've been in groups like this. I've led groups like this, um, and, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of them. Uh, Pastor Barry is running a, a guys uh, mentoring group, and that's what this is, right? It's a discipleship program, a mentoring relationships, this group mentoring. Um, and I, I hope that I hope more of this happens. Honestly, uh, I hope many of you, especially older saints here, will will make this a priority with those of us who are younger. I guess I'm not taking weight off yet. Sorry, this, I will in a second. Uh, but like younger Christians need you. Like we need you, older saints, to be our guides and our prayer partners and our cheerleaders. We need you to care about us and ask how we are and take us out for lunch, right? And listen to us, uh, you know, and talk about our kids. And then you just need to say. It's okay, it'll pass, right? That's so comforting, like, okay, good, I'll get through it, right? Uh, like, we need you to point out ways we can love our families better and love our church better and love the community better. Um, experienced moms can help teach younger moms. Experienced dads with dads. High school students, you can, you can help with junior high students in the youth group. Like, there's all kinds of, of opportunity here, and I love that. Um, but, but to take the weight off, take the weight off, many of you can't do that right now. 
right? I think of my stage of life with our, our five kids under, uh, under 10. You know, most days, you know, we're just happy to get to bedtime with like everyone's alive and the house is still not burned down. Like, man, we're good at this. You know, like that's how, that's how it feels to, to be a, a young, you know, a parent. Um, and, and, and so, and, and I think this is good to say, man, what better way can we make disciples than of our children in our homes? There's no better place, right? And so praise God for, for parents and investing in your kids and raising them up. That is, that is disciple making uh, as, as, you know, in, in the most influential way possible. Um, but, but you can see how, uh, you know, if you go to my wife and say, you know, hey, you really should be investing in taking some time to invest in younger women, right? You can say that to her. I'm not gonna say that to her uh, because uh, you're gonna get slapped. Um, I'm just kidding. Caroline would never slap anyone. Uh, but but you, can, you can see what I'm saying. Like life stage, uh, you know, circumstances, any number of things can make uh, this kind of intentional one-on-one discipleship uh, unworkable, right? Just many, many different, various things. So how do you make disciples regardless of your life circumstances? I think that's, that's a, a good question. And I think, I think the way, uh, one way you make disciples is by being a faithful part of a local church. Okay, Mark Dever uh, writes this. The Bible teaches that the local church is itself the basic discipler of Christians. It does this through its weekly gatherings and its accountability structures as well as its elders and members. Mark Dever is a great pastor if you don't know him. Um, we, we, we are, so what it's saying, we are together, all of us, we're making disciples as we obey, for instance, Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. We're making disciples together as we obey Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider one another in, in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we are disciples, right? If we are worshipers and apprentices and ambassadors together as the family of God, then we will also very naturally play our part in making disciples, right? And this is, I think this is really how it goes. Like, isn't how this has gone in your relationship, in your walk with Jesus? One-on-one discipleship relationships are great. They can be great. They've been very formative to me, but they never do it all, right? Even, even for like Paul and Timothy, which we saw in Philippians, right? Timothy was Paul's disciple, but at one point, Paul talks about Timothy's mother and his grandmother and how they poured into him and led him to the faith, no one learns to follow Jesus only from one other person. It's a community project. One person shares the gospel with you. Another leads you to trust Jesus. Another serves you sacrificially in a way that models Jesus' love. Another really helps you understand grace in a new way. Another shows you how to parent your child in the faith. Another, how to forgive, how to you know, let go of the bitterness that you're holding. Another teaches you how to pray and study. Another teaches you how to be a good steward of your finances. Like This is how it works, isn't it? We, we disciple each other in various ways at various times and we help each other to follow Jesus. So, so here's, here's the weight off, hopefully. You don't have to start a discipleship group, right? I hope many of you will. If you can, why wouldn't you do it? Uh, but, but, but making disciples happens by God's grace when you as an apprentice of Jesus are obedient and faithful in the relationships that you already have. 
right, in your family, in your church, right, in your, at your workplace. Whoever you are, brother or sister, you can play a role in someone's life to move them closer to Jesus. Right? Every interaction is a chance for that. And I, and I hope that's helpful. I hope that's encouraging. What if a whole church, right, our, our whole church, for instance, each of us was all in on worshiping Jesus, on living like him, and on sharing him together? What would it feel like and look like to be a part of a community like that? Don't you want to be? Wouldn't that be wonderful? What kind of fruit would God produce through our church family? Lives changed, people saved from addiction, right? unbelievers converted, uh, you know, believers maturing, uh, marriages saved, whole family trajectories turned from darkness to light. We would, we would make disciples and make much of Jesus. And, and here's a little bit of, of weight on us, on all of us. What, what would this type of community require of each of us? I think it would require that we love one another. John 13, 34, I give you a new command, Jesus says, love one another just as I have loved you you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What's supposed to be distinctive about the church is our love for each other. A community like this would require that I take responsibility for you. You take responsibility for me. It would require us to practice such love for one another that there's nothing we wouldn't do to help each other. We would really be a family. It would require a, a giving up of my rights and my time in sacrificial service for you. Just as Jesus sacrificed for, for me. It would require, I think if we're honest, something supernatural. And with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Just before Jesus gave this command to love each other um, to, to his 12 disciples, he did something crazy. In John 13, one of the most, I think, moving passages in, in the Bible, the beginning of John 13, he got up from dinner and he, he washed his disciples' feet. He did the, he did the servant work. He did the, the dirty, menial stuff, like the gross stuff. Right, and he got up and he said, if, if I, your Lord and King, have served you in this way, you also should serve each other, should love each other. And that was just a foretaste of how only a few short days later he would love them to the end by sinking even lower, lower than a servant, to, to, to the level of a common criminal. Right, he was executed. He was crucified. And, and this is why we say that Jesus is worthy of praise if someone so great, the son of God, right, would, would lower himself, would sink so low to love us and serve us and suffer for us, then he's worth praising, right? He's worthy of our praise. And the father agreed. The father raised Jesus from the dead, right? Highly exalted him, gave him the name that's above every name. And, and it's only by regularly experiencing being reminded of 
being in awe of Jesus' love for us, that we will have the resources to love others. We love because he first loved us. I wonder, have you trusted Jesus? Maybe you're in here and you haven't. Man, Jesus invites you. Maybe you've been in church your whole life and you've realized like, oh, I've just been, I've just been playing the game. Right? You, you know you can be in church your whole life and not be a Christian? If you, if you never have, have gone to, come to Jesus personally, right? ask him to forgive you. If, if you haven't ever, ever confessed your sin and repented and turned and believed and trusted him, then you aren't a Christian. And maybe you haven't done that. Maybe you've never laid down your weapons and given yourself to the Lord. Why wouldn't you? What's holding you back? Brother or sister in here, how are you growing in these things? How are you faithfully participating in corporate worship? How are you plugging into the church community through a study, through life group, through serving you know, in the kids' ministry, through student ministry, through an outreach, you know, outreach opportunity? How is your heart? How is your worship? How is your apprenticeship to Jesus going? How, how is, is each interaction you're having with others moving them closer to the Lord? Does it move them closer to the Lord or further away from the Lord? How are you leading others? How are you praying? How are you giving? How has God gifted you as a part of our body to build us up together in love? We need you. We need each other. Redeemer, this is what we long to be. It's what we long to be, worshipers of Jesus with all of our hearts. Apprentices walking with Jesus moment by moment, day by day ambassadors proclaiming the message of our king to everyone who will listen. And some will listen and they will believe and they will, be, they will join the family and we will teach them to obey what Jesus commanded. And so it will go until the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this call. Um, Lord, it, it is a, a high call. Lord, this is something that we can, we can never do on our own strength. Um, you know it. <laughs> we know it. Lord, if we don't know it, then we will find it out. So, so we need you. Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Would you fill our church with your presence so that we would love each other? so we would love you, so we would remember how much you love us. We are so forgetful, we are so weak, we are so frail. Father, would you do this in us? Would you, would you use us? Would we walk with you day by day, moment by moment? Would we uh, not miss the opportunities you put in our paths to be your ambassadors? Would our hearts just spill over with love? for you. Father, I pray if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you, uh, that you would pour your love into their hearts by your Holy Spirit in a way that they, they can't deny. 
You would show them what you've done. You'd show them your love. Show them who you are. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.